Good morning, church. So very good to see you this morning. It's been two weeks since I've been able to tell you that I love you. I missed you last week. I so appreciate Zach Roddenberry, our high school minister, filling in for me last week. And I know that he did a fantastic job. And we had a wonderful trip to Estonia. It was a wonderful blessing to be there with the brothers and sisters, not only in Estonia, but those who went with us. Uh, I think we have a picture this is the group from McDermott Road that went uh, to Estonia. This is in front of the church building there in Tallinn uh, last Sunday. So it was a wonderful time. Thank you for blessing us with the ability and the time to go and be with those brothers and sisters there. In a couple of weeks, we have a video that we're going to show you and tell you more about the work that is going on in Estonia. Wonderful things that God is doing there. But I missed you, and I'm so thankful to be back with you. Our theme this year has been reflect and renew. We've been asking ourselves to do some self-examination. And if you remember, at the beginning of the year, we, we had a self-evaluation form. You remember that? It's been a few months ago. Uh, hopefully, we'll do that again closer to the end of the year. But we had this self-evaluation form, and one of the questions on that evaluation form was, when I sin... I confess my sin to a brother or sister in Christ. And then we all ranked that, one being strongly disagree, I don't tend to do that, and 10, I, I always do that, I strongly agree. Do you remember asking yourself that question? When you sin, do you confess that sin to a brother or sister in Christ? Now, I didn't see your evaluation form, so I don't know how you answered that question. I know how I answered that question, and I don't do very well at that. I don't do that as often as I should. And my guess is that most of us would say that we don't do that like we should. In fact, some of us may not even realize that we're supposed to do that. We may not realize that when we sin, we're supposed to confess it not just to God, but to other people and ask them to pray for us. We may not even realize we're supposed to do that because I hear Christians say all the time things like, well, my sin is between me and God. That's my business. I'll take care of that. I don't need anyone else to interfere or stick their nose into my business. I will address that with God. And yes, you can and you should address that with God, but we are so incredibly individualistic that we don't realize that actually, actually this involves other people. And it should involve other people. And God intends for you to confess your sins to other people and pray for one another, for people to come to you and say, here's what I've done and here's what I'm struggling with and I need you to pray for me and for you to go to other people and say, I'm really struggling with this. And I need you to petition God on my behalf. And so we're going to talk about why we should do that and the importance of doing that and the necessity of doing that. But as we do, I want us to start in James chapter 5 and verse 13. Let's start in James chapter 5 and thir verse 13. James, the little brother of Jesus, says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. This is how James is closing out this letter. This is how he's closing out this book. And he says, no matter what your circumstance is, if something is making you happy or if something is hurting you, your response should be, go to 
God. Your, your response, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situation, regardless of what's happening in your life, go to God. Either go to God in prayer or go to God in praise, but your situation should drive you to your knees. Whether it makes you really happy or it makes you really sad. Whatever is going on in your life, go to God in prayer or go to God in praise. And we need to remember that as we go through the rest of this section, that you, because of what Jesus has done for you, you can go directly to God. Praise God. You can go directly to him. You have access to the creator of the universe, and you can call him your Abba Father. He's your father, and you can go to him in the name of Jesus, your savior. You've been reconciled to God, and you can ask God and talk to God and praise God and tell God whatever it is that's going on in your life, whatever is making you happy, whatever is making you sad, regardless of your situation, let it drive you to your knees. Let it drive you to God. So keep that in mind as we go through the rest of this. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Let's kind of walk through this for a second. What does sickness tend to do? Sickness tends to isolate us from other people by its very nature, doesn't it? Especially if someone is sick in bed and they can't get up, they, they physically can't go and be with other people. It isolates us, but it isolates us not just physically, but also emotionally, doesn't it? And we tend to pity ourselves and ask, why is this happening to me? And what have I done to deserve this? And nobody loves me anymore and nobody cares about me. And James, always the man of action, always the man of doing, says, okay, here's what you can do. When you're in a situation like this, first, yes, of course, you can pray. But he says, invite the elders. You take the initiative to invite the elders. We, we have this tendency, don't we, when we're sick to say, well, why haven't they noticed that I'm missing? Why don't they care about me? Why aren't they coming to me? I'm just going to sit around and wait for them to come to me. James, always the man of action, says, no, no, no. You take the initiative. You call the elders. You ask the elders to come and to pray for you. You say, well, can't I just pray for myself? Well, of course you can pray for yourself. But you are not an island. You need people praying with you and praying for you. And notice that he says that the elders, when they come, should anoint you with oil and pray for you. Now, the, the emphasis here isn't on the fact that they're elders. And the emphasis here isn't on the oil itself. The emphasis is on the prayer of faith. That the prayer of faith is powerful and effective. That when you have spiritual men, righteous men, anointing you with oil and praying over you that powerful things can happen when this is a prayer of faith. And this has been a theme throughout the book of James. In chapter 1, he said, if anyone of you lacks wisdom, what should you do? Ask God. But when you ask God, don't doubt God. 
Because if you doubt God and you say, I I don't know if God can give me this or not. I don't know if he's powerful enough. I don't know if if he can do this. Then you shouldn't expect that you'll receive anything from God. He says, such a man is double-minded and is tossed to and fro. That, that, that sort of doubting prayer is not powerful. But a prayer of faith is powerful. And you need people in your life to pray with you and pray for you. Now again, we tend to be very individualistic. We say, well, I can go to God myself, and God already knows what I need. Why do I need the elders come into my house? Why do I need the elders praying with me? Why do I need other people praying with me and praying for me? Because this is how God designed us to live in community. In community with other people. He made you part of a body. He made others part of that body. And you are a body part that needs all the other parts. That means when you're sick, yes, you need to pray, but you also need to invite other people into your life and into your circumstance and into your struggle and into your pain and into your sickness and say, come to me, anoint me with oil and pray over me. And believe that a prayer of faith is powerful and can save the person who is sick. Notice that he says, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now notice it's an if. It's an if. It's it's not a given. The fact that you're sick doesn't necessarily mean you did something to deserve this. But we have a tendency to think that way, don't we? We have a tendency to think, well, I must have done something to deserve this. Remember Job's friends? They showed up when he was sick and when he was struggling and when he had been through all of these things and said, well, you must have done something James doesn't agree. The book of Job doesn't agree. God doesn't agree. Sometimes that is true. Sometimes that is true. But we we assume it must be true. In fact, I had a conversation just this week with a sister in Christ who said, here's here's a situation that I'm in. Here's something that, that happened to me, this painful situation that I'm going through. Did I do something to deserve this? What I told her was that Sometimes the the most important question isn't why, although that's the question we tend to ask, isn't it? Why? Why is this happening? Sometimes the question isn't why, but what? I I don't know why. I I don't know why this is happening to you. I don't know why you're going through this, but what? What can I do now? What can I do now? Have I done something that's wrong? I don't know if this situation that I'm going through has anything to do with the fact that I've done something wrong, but if I've done something wrong, that needs to be addressed, doesn't it? And since I've been given this opportunity to reflect on my life, and sickness sometimes does that, doesn't it? It gives us an opportunity to reflect on, well, what have I done? And how have I been living? And are there things in my life that I need to repent of and change? doesn't necessarily mean that's why this this has happened, but it does mean that if you realize you've done something that needs to be corrected, then correct it. And having people in your life in those moments of struggle and pain and sickness who are praying with you and praying for you can absolutely change your life, not only physically, but spiritually. In fact, that same theme continues. Here's our, our primary verse. Therefore, verse 16, therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
therefore. Therefore, why therefore? Based on what? Well, based on what he's just said. Because the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The prayer of faith can save a sick person. And since that's true, then confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you can be healed. And he said, if that person has sinned, God will forgive them. God is a forgiving God. That's why we confess our sins. If God wasn't a forgiving God, we'd, we'd want to hide our sins as if we could hide them from God. But confession implies that we believe God is a God who forgives. And so we confess our sins not only to God, but to each other. Because prayer is powerful. Because prayer can heal. Because prayer can save. Because God is a forgiving God. Therefore, based on these truths, confess your sins to each other and pray for one another. Now notice he says, one another. Who's that? All y'all, right? It's been a while since I said that. It's all y'all. It's all of us. Not just the elders. He doesn't say confess your sins to the elders. He doesn't say confess your sins to the preacher. He says confess your sins to one another. If you're in Christ Jesus, then you are a person that should receive this type of confession and give this type of confession. You're the kind of person who needs to be prayed for and you're the kind of person who needs to pray for others. This is this reciprocal relationship that we have in Christ. You see, some people may look at, at our way of, of being the church and think we don't have priests here. In fact, you might even ask, if somebody said, who's your priest? You might say, well, we don't have priests here. Nothing could be further from the truth. Did you know that? All y'all are priests. Everyone who is in Christ Jesus is a priest. That means that you are a person who has been deputized by Jesus to bring the blessings of God to others and to bring the confessions and prayers of others to God. You, you, if you are in Christ, then this is your calling and your responsibility, but it's also what you need. You need to confess your sins to other people. And you need other people praying for you. Again, this attitude of, well, my sins are between me and God. I'm not going to talk to anybody else about my sins. Well, then you very well may stay in your sins. You very well may stay sick. You very well may stay struggling. Because Jesus intended for us to be in a community where we share our struggles with each other. Our sicknesses, our pains, our hardships, and our sins. Where we're honest with one another and say, I need you to pray for me. I love this quote from a, a book I'm reading right now, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools by Tyler Staten. He said this, a maturing community is a confessing community. Not a church without sin, but a church without secrets. I like that. Not a church without sin, no such thing, but a church without secrets, where we don't hide reality from each other, where we don't just show up on Sunday morning and smile and say, everything's fine, everything's good, I'm good, you're good, we're all good, and then go live our lives and struggle alone in isolation. That's not the intention of Jesus. 
The intention of Jesus is that we live in community. So many people now say, do life together. And I like that. We do life together. We live our lives together where we're honest with each other, not only about what we're going through, but the situations in which we've put ourselves because of our sin. We have to normalize confessing sin to each other. We have to normalize this, where, where this is a normal thing to say, I've sinned. Instead of feeling hopeless and helpless and defeated and isolated, we have to allow our circumstances, even the circumstances we've brought upon ourselves, to drive us to our knees and drive us to deeper community with each other. We need to say things like this. I've been impatient, lost my temper with my family. Pray for me. I mean, if I asked how many of you have, I'm not going to ask this, but if I asked you how many of us have been impatient and lost our temper with our family this week, we could probably all raise our hand. But did you ask anybody to pray for you? Did you confess that to anybody? Did you say, I lost my temper? I sinned against my child. I sinned against my spouse. I sinned against my parents. Pray for me. I want to be patient. I want to be kind. I want to be loving. I want to be filled with the Spirit's fruit. We need to say things like, I've entertained lustful thoughts. Pray for me. Or I've been proud. Pray for me. I've been greedy and materialistic. Pray for me. I've had misplaced priorities. Pray for me. I've disobeyed and dishonored my parents. Pray for me. If these things are true of us, if we know we have these struggles, why are we leaving the prayers of other people on the table unutilized? You have the most powerful thing at your disposal, the prayers of other people, and you say, no thanks, I'll deal with this myself. Well, so many of us are not actually dealing with it. So many of us say things like, I really struggle with this, or I really have my struggles, or no one's perfect. And when we say we're struggling with something, that ought to imply that we're doing everything within our power to get past it, to defeat it, to be victorious. And James says, here's what you can do. Confess your sins to each other and pray for one another. He goes on, the latter part of verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Now, I want to stop there for just a second, and I want to admit to you that I, I denied this truth for a long time. I, I used to hear people say things like, prayer is powerful, or I believe in the power of prayer. And I thought, well, I don't believe in the power of prayer, I believe in the power of God. Prayer isn't powerful. God is powerful. And there's a, there's a truth to that. That's true. But James says, actually, prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Now, who is this righteous person? Who is a righteous person? A righteous person is someone who is in a right covenant relationship with God. Look around you. I mean, literally, not rhetorically. Look around you. You are, you are surrounded by righteous people. Not perfect people. We're not talking about perfect people. There's not a perfect person in here. But you are surrounded by righteous people. People who are in a right covenant relationship with God because they have faith in Jesus. 
Because they've put their faith in Jesus, because they're loyal, not perfect, because they're loyal to Jesus, they are in a right relationship with God and their prayers are powerful. And James is saying their powerful prayers can be used for your sinful situation. That you need to recruit them to pray for you because their powerful prayers are effective while they're working. So ask them, pray for me. I'm struggling. I've sinned. I'm messed up so many times. I don't know how to get right. Pray for me. He goes on, verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was a human. And so many times as I've read that, I've thought, well, he's sort of saying Elijah wasn't all that special. He's just, a, he's just a guy like us. He's just a dude like us. Actually, actually, human beings are more special than you could possibly imagine. Human beings, humans like Elijah, humans like you, are more amazing and spectacular than you could ever imagine. Why? Because every human being is the image of God is the image of God, not because of what they do, but because of what they are. They are God's image. And when you see an image of something, you automatically reflect on the thing it images, right? If you see a flag, you think about the country it represents. If you see a statue, you understand that statue is not that famous person. That famous person is not standing right there. But because you see their statue, you think about the one the statue represents, You are a moving, living, breathing statue of God. Not because of what you look like, but because God created you to be his image. A flag doesn't look like the country it represents, but when you see that flag, you think about and reflect on the country it represents. You and the people around you are God's images And not only that, those who are righteous, those who are in a right relationship with God because they put their faith in Jesus, they have a special connection with God, the one they represent. Every single one of them is a priest of God, a priest of God, not because they wear special clothes, not because they went to a special school, not because they know certain things, but because God has endowed them and deputized them and appointed them to represent him in the world to rule and reign on his behalf. And you can go to them and say, pray for me. And their prayers are more powerful than you could possibly imagine. You say, well, what about me? Yes, 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 you too, you too. Your prayers are powerful too. But James is talking about other people praying for you. Take advantage of that. Recruit them. Pray for me. If you really want to be done struggling with this sin, if you really want to overcome this sin, if you want to be victorious over this sin, why are you leaving the prayers of other people on the table? Pray. You say, well, I tried that. It didn't work. Keep praying. Keep praying. And keep asking others to pray on your behalf. Look at verse 19. My brothers, 
If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know, the person who brought someone else back, that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I don't know about you, but that, that passage always makes me a little uncomfortable, doesn't it, you? So I listen to what James is saying. You're saying, whoever does this, and again, this is whoever, whoever, that's, that's all y'all, that's all of us, that's whoever does this, not, not somebody special within the church, but anyone who brings back a sinner, who restores someone to the truth, Anyone who does this by praying, by teaching, by encouraging, by restoring, anyone who does this saves another soul from death and covers a multitude of sins. See, again, like Peter says, you are all priests. You are a royal priesthood. And you are in the soul-saving business. And you say, well, who? that's a little uncomfortable. I, I don't save anybody's soul. I don't cover over a multitude of sins. Jesus does that. Amen, amen, I agree with you. Jesus does that. But James says you have a role to play in that. That Jesus is working through you. That you are a conduit of Jesus' saving power to save souls from death, to bring people back to life to cover over a multitude of sins. Jesus wants to employ you. He wants to work through you to save people. And again, in our individualistic culture, we don't like that, do we? We say, well, no, no, I just want this to be about me and Jesus. Yes, yes, it is about you and Jesus. It's about you and Jesus and everybody else around you. It's about all of us. And about how sometimes they are the ones in fact, we could say it like this. This might be the simplest way. Jesus may want to use you to save them or use them to save you. Both things are true, aren't they? Jesus may want to use you to save them. You say, Jesus does the saving. Yes, of course, but James says, if you turn a sinner back from his ways, if you restore someone to the truth, if you pray for them, if you help them, if you teach them, if you encourage them, then you've saved a soul from death and covered over a multitude of sins. You say, but Jesus gets the credit for that. Of course he does. But don't underestimate the importance, the significance of the role you play in that process. Jesus didn't have to employ people in this process. He could have done it all just one-on-one, -on -one, but that's not how Jesus works. He works through people, and he wants to work through you to save them. And you say, well, that's between them and God. Well, wait, 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 wait. It is between them and God, but God has recruited you to pray for them. And if you are a saint, if you are a righteous person, if you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, if you've been made righteous by your faith in Jesus, then your prayers are just as powerful and effective. You are an image of God. You are God's priest to bring God's blessings to them, but also to bring their situation to God. So whether it's because they're sick or they're hurting or they're struggling, 
or they're in sin and they're confessing their sin to you, you have a responsibility, a role to play in bringing that situation to God. And Jesus wants to work through you for their blessing and benefit. But the other side is true as well. God may want to work through them to save you. And that's the part where we get really uncomfortable, isn't it? We say, well, well hold on. That, those, my sins are between me and God. Wait a second. How do you know that Jesus hasn't brought that person into your life to teach you, to encourage you, to pray for you? But in our pride, we hide it from one another. And we don't tell one another, here's what I'm going through. They're not mind readers. They can't read your mind. They don't know what you're going through unless you tell them. But God put priests in your life. God put righteous people in your life. He put images in your life that you can ask them, pray for me. Pray for me. A brother in Christ, a few weeks ago, he uh, asked me to help hold him accountable because he'd been looking at some things online that he shouldn't look at. So he asked me to, to kind of monitor his online usage and he uses this software and it sends me an email every day and says, you know, if there's anything that needs to be addressed. And every day I get an email that says he's doing fine, he's doing fine, nothing to worry about. And I thought, the software can be wrong. And so I thought, I, I'm just going to ask him, how, how are things going? So I texted him and I asked him, I said, hey, hey how, how are things going? I, the emails say you're doing great and that's, that's wonderful, glad to hear it, but how are you really doing? And he said, thanks for reaching out because the truth is I'm not doing well and I am looking at things that I'm not supposed to and I'm not sure why the software hasn't caught it, but I'm glad for the opportunity to confess that to you. So we talked through the practicalities of some of the things he might try, some of the things he might do. But at the end, I, I got to remind him of a truth that he already knew, but I suspect he needed to hear again. God loves you. You're forgiven in Christ Jesus. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. He knew that truth, but he needed someone to say it to him. He needed someone to confess to. And it's not because I'm a preacher it's because I'm a brother in Christ and you are surrounded by people that you can do that with. That you can go to them and say, I, I'm struggling with lust. I'm struggling with pride. I'm struggling with materialism. I'm struggling with anger. Pray for me. Help hold me accountable. Remind me of who I am and what I have in Christ Jesus. See, that's what we all get to do. We all get to be proclaimers of the gospel. We get to remind one another, God loves you. You are forgiven in Christ Jesus. You are filled with God's Holy Spirit. Yes, they could just read it out of their Bible, but sometimes they need to hear you say it to them. And sometimes you need to hear other people say it to you. Jesus may want to use you to save them, and he may want to use them to save you. Do not cut yourself off from the other people around you. They are the people that God is using to save you, and that God is using you to save them. You don't have to confess your sins to a whole group of people. You don't even have to go and confess your sins to the elders. 
but confess your sins to someone and ask them to pray for you. But if we can hear your confession, and as a community, as a body of believers, or if the shepherds can do the same, hear what's on your heart and what's on your mind and pray for you, it is our privilege and honor to do that. Or maybe there's somebody here this morning and you're ready to put Jesus on in baptism. Whatever we can do for you, we are your family. We are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're here to help as together we stand and sing this song.